This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Well, it might have been FA Cup weekend for our Premier League side, but there's still plenty to whinge about, plenty to moan about on this Monday morning. We'll do Get in the Sea, as we always do on Football Social Daily. Jordan Henderson, Thomas Frank and the Weird Time Derby all getting chucked into the deep blue. We'll also talk about the latest transfer news as Timo Werner looks set to return to the Premier League and set to return to London and have Arsenal blown all chances of winning a trophy this season. We'll talk about all of that on today's podcast with me, Niall McCorn, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Happy Monday to you, boys. Very happy Monday. Very chipper this morning, I don't know why. (laughs) I think we all know why. Actually, to be fair, this is, I think, classed as the most depressing day of the year and we're only eight days in, but probably not for you. (laughs) Not for me. I've got, uh, yeah, a little little smile on my face for another, well, however long it takes Sunderland to finally get to a position to force a regular Tyne Weir, Weir Tyne Derby. So, eight years in the making and uh, a nice comfortable 3-0 win. So. I'm not going to lie, I felt a bit sorry for them because they did gift-wrapped you two goals. Well, this is, this is the thing. They were very, very accommodating all, you know, for the whole build-up. They, they let us put our black and white stuff all over sent, uh, all over the Stadium of Light and, you know, let uh, let us basically do what we want. And then we got to the pitch and, and Dan Ballard decides to give us a goal. Um, Luke 9 Whoever he is, little pretend hard man, tried to just end everybody rather than tackle Alexander Isak for the third goal. And then that Ballard who uh, just loses his head and runs into Gordon for the third goal as well. So all in all, very hospitable. We'll give them 10 out of 10 on TripAdvisor. I would I would recommend the, uh, the Stadium of Light as a very accommodating place to go. Well, I'm not surprised that you'd put that review on TripAdvisor, seeing as the away end was made up of 3,000 tourists out of the 6,000 Geordies that were given tickets. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sure we'll save that for later on in the podcast. Uh, I'm sure we'll come I on to it. I lost all sense of, I uh, uh, don't know what the word is, but basically I seen a YouTuber in there and I just thought, if I was there, it'd be getting a swift slap around the head. What are you doing in our away end? I think he was in the away end. I seen him outside on the concourse thing, but I remember thinking just what's going on here like the amount of people that would give a limb to be there um and he's he's somehow got one in yes never mind well we'll talk about that in a minute because i'm sure with getting the sea there's plenty to discuss from the weird time derby from the weekend but let's do that as we always do on a monday the first podcast of a week we do our feature our regular weekly feature of getting the sea which is joel marley and i's chance to get whatever we want off of our chest if something's annoyed us from the weekend's football whether that be premier league or in this case fa cup it's a chance to toss it into the deep blue so if you've never listened to the podcast before welcome to football social daily and this is always how we start our week with a little bit of therapy so we'll come to you first joel is there anything in particular that you'd like to throw into the sea this week good morning guys actually i was gonna say just as a little add-on to marley's comments i actually like sunderland getting beat because i will never ever forget that 2012 game at the stadium of light where all their fans started jeering the united side when aguero scored i'll never forget that they've got a little grudge that will hold forever for me so i'm actually happy that newcastle won at the weekend they they are genuinely an awful fan base oh we, we i know i realized that after yeah. that game <laughs> this, honest, they hate us honestly, as well because we beat them in the checker trade final a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah now that's the same <laughs> they do they hate us same yeah, no, they're, they're such a petty horrible fan base it's uh it's funny but sure we'll come on to that later go on joel what are you throwing in 
so we touched on it around two months ago. A certain Jordan Henderson who abandoned all his morals, abandoned all of his beliefs and thought, I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia and I'm going to change everything. I'm going to be the Nelson Mandela that goes over there and completely converts everything that they believe. And I'm going to go. And it's not about the money, by the way. Let me just emphasize. It's not about the money. I'm just going because I really like Saudi football and et cetera, et cetera. Four months on, five months on, was hearing a lot, a lot of reports coming out now that he's unhappy in Saudi. Obviously, he's with his best mate, Steven Gerrard, who hasn't had a win in eight games with... Al Atifahi, I think his his name was for it. And do we not think that the writing was on the wall for this? Because I know for a fact when that contract first came in, I think it was a two to three year contract, probably on God knows what a week. He was thinking, this is going to be plain sailing for me. I'm going to enjoy it for two to three years. I'm going to earn all that money. I'll come back, try and you know converse with the public again, try and in- integrate back into English society and pick up where I left off forgetting that it's very very hard to adapt to a new country especially one that's 40 degrees most of the time especially one where your team doesn't win especially one where the attendances are about 8,000 a game if that so he's almost like had a shock to the system I think he's been probably watching the games in England fully packed which is what he's been used to all the last decade and thinking what the hell am I doing here is going to be causing disruption for his family, inevitably, because I think he has a few kids as well and a wife. It's not all that is cracked up to be. You're hearing now, all of a sudden, the cracks are showing for quite a lot of players who've gone over to Saudi. Roberto Firmino's only got three goals in 20-something games And rumours suggest that he's going to come back to the Premier League as well, linked with Fulham. Exactly. It's not all that's cracked up to be. And by the way, a bit of respect on Cristiano Ronaldo, who's got something like 55 goals, the most for a player last year. It's not easy scoring in Saudi. I think players have gone over there thinking, this is going to be like playing Sunday League football when when I first started playing, and it's not. Do you know what? I saw a really good tweet, actually. You talk about the perception of players. I think players have gone over there expecting it to be like Dubai. In terms of westernisation, I don't think Saudi's quite at that point yet, is it? I thought that tweet was absolutely on the money. I think people go to the Middle East, they categorise it, they pigeonhole it as pretty much being exactly like Dubai. And obviously each of the Arab countries have their own culture and their own different way of doing things. And I think that maybe some people have been misinformed about the decision to move to Saudi. Yeah, 100%. And don't get me wrong, the money's incredible, but you also have to live your life at the same time. And I think he's thinking after four months, I'm not feeling comfortable here. My family are probably missing life back in England with the family because it's what a seven hour flight to get back to England. Okay, you can get the fastest private jet in the world, but you've still got to play football at the end of the day. And like you've just said, and it's a great point as well. I think all these footballers have been to Dubai. They've gone in the winter break. They've gone in the summer break. They all enjoy it. And they've all thought this is going to be plain sailing. They're going to have all these McDonald's and Burger Kings everywhere. It's going to feel like <laughs> home. Little did they know that it's it's Saudi's a very religious place still. It's, it's not like Dubai at all. Dubai's almost an anomaly when it comes to that area of the world in terms of how it is and what they believe and that kind of thing. So I think for Jordan Henderson, it's just a real awkward summarization of, it, of him and his move there, which is that we knew that this was almost going to happen and he abandoned everything for it. And I think he's probably learned a very vital lesson, which is that money money doesn't talk at the end of the day because when he comes back, he's not going to be accepted into all these different things that he was involved in because he, he's shown 
what his true morals and beliefs are, which is that it can be bought by money. And so that for me, Jordan Henderson getting the the Arabian Gulf, getting the Arabian Gulf, it'll be a nice temperature there anyway, so he'll enjoy it. I think it was quite telling that after his first two months in Saudi Arabia, Jordan Henderson still hadn't had a haircut. <laughs> obviously true? wasn't able... Well, I just remember him coming back for international duty and he'd let his hair grow. And obviously, you know what Jordan Henderson's like. He's had a bit like Stephen Gerrard. He's had the same haircut for, for eternity. You can just imagine him just pigeonholed in his uh, very expensive hotel room, just eating pot noodles and terrible food just imported he doesn't trust anything and apparently he'll get a huge tax bill when he comes back home as well because of the money that he's earned so you mentioned money over morals joel and i seem to remember that when we were discussing this when he first moved there in the summer we did have a long conversation i think we might have even dedicated most of a podcast to the issue of jordan henderson being an ambassador for the lgbtq plus community and then going to a country which still criminalizes being a homosexual with all that in mind, a lot of people said they were disappointed with his decision to go over there. He said, as you've mentioned already, his aim was to try and change people's perceptions of it. That was never going to happen. So it was quite foolish for him to think that people would just forget about it. He did that interview, didn't he, Marley? I think with Sky Sports halfway through his time there. But that damage that he did do in terms of what some people see as turning his back on the gay community. I don't think you can just undo that by coming back after a short period of time. If anything, I think coming back after a short spell there probably makes it worse, doesn't it? Because it makes you just go, well, what was the point of that? Absolutely. And uh, I think Jordan Henderson, as a footballer, he's, you know, he's, he's good, I suppose. You know, he's, uh, he's got his, his strengths and his weaknesses, but one of his biggest weaknesses, I think, as a person, is he, he seems to be thick. Like how the the mind the sort of mindset that I can go there and no no it's different I'm not going just to earn the money I'm going to change people's how people see it and you know oh no no it's not it's not like that you know everyone's been everyone's been nice to me like yeah cause cause they have Jordan because you're not one of them you're an outsider so you will get treated like a prince everywhere you go and a king and you'll get things laid on for your food drink you know hospitality and all that stuff. Um, and to quit after what six six months or whatever it's been is pathetic. To be honest, it just it's another kick in the ribs for the the communities that he says he represents. Um, and it's yeah, it's I'd be absolutely fuming with him if I was from that community, and I'm fuming at him now because I I never never believed in what he was selling. Basically, I never bought what he was trying to sell. That it was this emerging league, and it's you know. It's good and it's all, you know, it's got to be one of the, the best leagues. You know, you're going to a team, at the end of the day, you're going to a team managed by Steven Gerrard. It's only going to last six months. It's going to get worse. You know, they're on the verge of selling him. They've actually just um, lost their number two, Aletifak. I think he's gone to, is it, it might be Plymouth or someone. It, it's someone in the football league system. It's not Plymouth, it's someone else. But um, I remember thinking like, if the number two's leaving, the number you know the number one's not going to exactly be on the most solid ground type of thing. So Gerard's going to get sacked. Um, Jordan Henderson's apparently trying to leave, um, and it's all going tits up. And it does it deserved it deserved every every bit of what he's getting, especially the tax bill if that's uh, if that's true and you know it's millions and millions. Then fair play. But Henderson, if he comes back with his tail between his legs. 
I think there's only one club he'll go to, and it's the one that got bounced out of the FA Cup 3-0 at the weekend. Well, you're right, actually. It is Steven Gerrard's assistant who's gone to Plymouth Argyle, the championship club, Ian Foster. Is it? Yeah. Where did I pull that from? Jesus <laughs> Christ. Brilliant. Ian Foster, who used to manage England at age group level, England under 18s, 19s, and England under 20s. I bet he's feuding, you know. Like, he's done his badges, relatively unknown person. He's done his badges, England 18s, England 19s, England 20s. Oh, Stephen Gerrard's uh, being appointed the, you know, manager of some rich Saudi club. Do you want to go and be his assistant? Like, he's a more qualified coach than Stephen Gerrard. He wasn't as good a footballer, but he's a better coach. Do you not, do you not think that's quite telling, though, that even an assistant manager's going from Saudi after five months to Plymouth? I think that's a great point, Joel, because I think that, I think it shows you cannot substitute English football for anything. And that might be quite an arrogant viewpoint, but I do think that there's something about the English football pyramid that cannot be replicated. And I do think that for all the money you get paid as an assistant manager or a coach or a player in Saudi Arabia, what it lacks in terms of the atmosphere, crowds, quality, I think that that is something that probably you can't ever substitute for. So he's not going to be getting paid as much at Plymouth Argyle. Well, maybe he is. I don't know. Can you afford to take a little bit of a average wage if you've been bumped on? you know, decent assistant money, assistant manager money at, in Saudi, you're probably all right for a little bit. You know, you can take a bit of, even if you only last six months at, at Plymouth, you know, you've you've still got a nice little nest egg built up there from six months of very easy work in Saudi where you're just following Steven Gerrard around, putting cones out and then having to listen to him, not listen to your ideas. <laughs> so Jordan Henderson's getting in the sea for Joel. We're going to take a quick break here on Football Social Daily. And next, we'll hear what Marley has to say about the Weir Time Derby in which the Toon were victorious by three goals to nil. We'll talk about it after this on FSD. This is Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall, and before the break, we were talking about Jordan Henderson, and the rumours are that he's set to return to England after just a short spell in Saudi Arabia. I wonder what he was doing in his spare time. You said that he might have been holed up in his hotel room eating pot noodles. I wonder whether he had, like, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, every subscription service going. Bangers and mash, <laughs> room service. <laughs> <laughs> well, what he could have done, instead of worrying about subscribing to all of the Saudi streaming platforms. He could have just got himself NordVPN, which is an, an easy way to get past Geoblock content. For example, if you do find yourself in Saudi Arabia for whatever reason, whether that's for work or for leisure, then why not get yourself a NordVPN subscription and that way you can set your location back to the UK and you can enjoy all of the streaming services that you normally get back home. It's really useful for going on holiday, actually, if you ever find yourself abroad and you want to get stuck into the usual programs without that annoying sign that says, this content is not available in your location. Actually, this week is the most popular week for booking holidays abroad of the whole year. So why not get yourself a NordVPN subscription as well? And you can get a special deal with us here at Football Social Daily with four months extra free by going to nordvpn.com forward slash FSD. That's the link you need to use, nordvpn.com forward slash FSD. You get four months extra free on your plan. You can tackle that geo-blocking when you're abroad. You can keep yourself safe online this year. So go and do that. The link to it is in the description. But now we're going to carry on with Get In The Sea, which is our usual Monday feature. Joel's had his moan. We'll come to Marley in a second. I'm going to do mine. The person I'm throwing in the sea 
is Thomas Frank, the Brentford manager, for his comments on FA Cup replays. Now, it's not like me to be a bastion of the lower league teams and, the and, FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> and fight the corner for the smaller clubs in the country. But I think Thomas Frank just needed to have a little bit more self-awareness. There's that saying, isn't there? Those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And Brentford are now this high and mighty Premier League club, albeit they're struggling at the moment. They drew 1-1 with Wolves on Friday night. And in the post-match press conference, the Dane said that that was the worst possible outcome for his team. Because that means there'll be a replay against Wolves at Molyneux. Now, obviously, the Premier League players, they're under a lot of stress. Energy levels in the Premier League, the intensity of the Premier League. However, I thought it was combated really well by Neil Critchley, who's the manager of League One Blackpool. And he said, so what? Get over it. You've got international breaks. We don't have international breaks in the lower leagues unless we have three or more players called up for international duty. And then we've got grounds for a postponement. We play more matches because there's more teams in the league. We also play the Papa John's Trophy which is a group stage competition. So whilst you're all in Europe in the Champions League, which Brentford aren't, by the way, they aren't in Europe, and they only enter the FA Cup at the third round, the only extra games they've got is probably a couple of Carabao matches. So I thought Thomas Frank's comments were absolutely ridiculous, to be fair, and he needs to get in the scene, not just because of how tone-deaf it was. Does he forget which club he manages? Brentford are in League 2 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. They're in League 2. Now they're a Premier League team and massive kudos to them for how they've got there. But also at FA Cup replay 15 years ago for Brentford, they would have absolutely bitten your arm off for an FA Cup replay against a side like Wolves. In fact, I think there might even be examples and maybe some of the Brentford fans who listen to this show can correct me of Brentford needing an FA Cup replay to boost the coffers. So I thought it was really poor from Thomas Frank. I can understand from his perspective as a Premier League manager why he might say that. But also, I think you need to look at the wider picture. So for me, that comment really annoyed me. So I'm throwing Thomas Frank in the sea. What do you boys think? Yeah, I, I totally agree with it. And the biggest point is that Brentford, where where were they 10 years ago? They're in the exact same situation that all of these other clubs who are in the third round absolutely wait for, which is the replay. Because I was speaking to Nal just before the podcast started. I can name... Tons of games on the back of my head. I remember three years ago when Marine, I think they were an eighth or ninth tier side, played against Spurs. And you could literally see all of the terraced houses in the back. People's furniture, the lights going on and off to go for the bathroom or a shower. And then you're just seeing here, I think Gareth Bale played in that game as well. You just saw Gareth Bale just playing basically in the back garden. Go on, Marley. You've got to say what you always say when we talk about this game. What, the guy The guy shout? No, no you'll have to bleep it. I mean, yes, fine. <laughs> but this must be the third time this, this season already that we've mentioned. It's, <laughs> Marine, it's for some reason, they keep games, popping up. Into these. <laughs> <laughs> Into these, Marine. These are what a brilliant. What a chant. Honestly, what a shout. Carry on, so John. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a great game, wasn't it? Uh, I, I also remember... Remember in that game, the striker, what's the Brazilian striker who plays Carlos for? Carlos finishes. When he scored the goal and then he went to the camera and did like this celebration as if to say, I've arrived kind of thing. Mate, the eighth, ninth tier, they need this game just to pay for the lights to be on right now. What the <laughs> hell are you doing? But I mean, I remember after the game, I think it was either the secretary that came out and did an interview and he said something along the lines of this game has allowed us to pay for our facilities for the next entire season. So you just realise the impact that these games have. I mean, we still think about that team three, four years on from the when it actually happened. They, they put you on the map and they, they, it's just so essential because I'm sure you guys as well, and for me, I've got so many local teams uh, close by my area, whether it's Withenshaw Town, East Didsbury, West Didsbury, all these small Altrincham, 
they're all in the lower leagues, but if they ever got a replay, it would literally secure their future because they, they don't make a lot of money. Well, you made the comment there that they need replays to bring in cash to keep the lights on. Well, at this point in time, with electricity costs the way they are and keeping floodlights on inside stadiums for non-league clubs, it's a huge issue. It's costing them thousands and thousands of pounds. So I understand where Thomas Frank was coming from in one aspect, because these are two Premier League sides that are meeting up, Wolves against Brentford. So a replay, in his words, is the worst possible outcome. But saying that he doesn't understand why we have FA Cup replays, come on, mate, read the room. That's a silly comment to make. So it leads me to suggest, should we change the FA Cup so that if it is an all Premier League tie, it should go to extra time and penalties there and then? Or if we're doing replays for teams that aren't in the Premier League, it should just be the same rule for all clubs across the board, no matter what level you play. I don't like that. I was just thinking it just before you said it, but it's almost like putting out the red carpet to the Premier League teams. Absolutely agree. And I don't really like that because I feel like it has to be, if it's one rule for one, it has to be one rule for the rest of the teams in the competition. As Neil Critchley, the Blackpool manager said, I think that was Blackpool's 36th game of the season at the weekend. No chance of Brentford play 36 games. Absolutely no chance. And even those players that are on international duty haven't even come close to 36 games. Not even close. So I do think, Thomas Frank, you need to get in the seat, I'm afraid, mate. Right, Marley, now's your turn. We're tying Derby, Stadium of Light, Saturday, 12.45, 6,000 Geordies in the away end, 45,000 Sunderland fans. The stage was set, first Derby since 2016, Championship against Champions League. And the team in the top flight came out on top with a 3-0 win. Talk to us. Tell us about it, first of all, before you do your get in the sea. Oh, it's just a good day, wasn't it? Just a just a really nice day. Um, obviously, we've not had the derby for, I think it's eight years. 2016 was the last one. Um, yeah, so, but having that, like, derby feeling back was was nice. Like, I've not really missed the derby that, that much. Or I didn't think I did because... Because they kept beating us, basically, and it wasn't. It was they had this horrible way of beating us, but it came from we didn't have any characters in our squad. Sort of. Thing. It's the best but, and the worst day as a football fan, Derby Day, particularly yeah. when it's been years since you play each other. So when we play Southampton, it is normally years between games, which obviously boosts the hostility and then the intensity of the game. But it's the best feeling in the world when you win one. When you lose one, you just you don't want to get out of bed the next day. It's awful. Yeah, you don't want to go on social media because they're all giving it, oh, you know, whatever it is. And you know, I've had that for for many a times. Now when they kept winning and fluking results, and Jermaine Defoe kept being a pain in the backside and all the rest of it. But um, I was confident this time round because I I know that I had trust in the characters that we have now to to be able to perform in that game. And when you've been at PSG, um in the Champions League and you've been to Dortmund, you've been to Milan, it's the perfect time really to to then go and play your rivals because you've got a taste of the atmosphere plus what it's like to play top-level opposition. So when you go to a game and it's just atmosphere and the players that you're playing against are all trash, it's just it it's just becomes an easy game because you can perform under the pressure and you can zip the ball around and they can't get a touch. You mentioned it at the start of the show as well, the nature of Newcastle's goals, an own goal and then a mistake from Equire, I think it was, who was hunted down by Almiron and Isaac sticks it into an empty net. As a neutral with no dog in the fight, my stomach sank for those players because that is just not what you want to do on Derby Day. 
You know, you're up against it as it is against the team in the league above who are expected to win, albeit with all the injuries. An own goal and a mistake give Newcastle a two-goal lead. I just felt a bit sick for the Sunderland fan. I know you don't care, but as I mentioned, you know, it's the best and the worst day as a football fan. And that's just not what you want. It's just horrible. But um, obviously glee for Newcastle. Yeah, I couldn't have uh, asked for any better thing any better <laughs> goals really i'd rather rather than three 30 yard volleys or whatever i'd rather have a mistake um you know well two mistakes and a, and a penalty basically so three mistakes because obviously you give away the penalty um but I, I did see a video of that equa um just before i think it was on the saturday night uh the, the friday night sorry and like a compilation of him he's a good player he looks he looks quite a good player and i thought oh hello we need it I mean, not that I'd ever want us to sign a Sunderland player, but we do need a, a DM who can play with the ball. Um, and, you know, he, he just takes his time and Almiron's on him like a like a hare. You know, he's like a hare out the trap type of thing at, at the Greyhounds and he's just all over him. And that was it. Just nice and easy, the second goal. And Although the Isaac finish, by the way, I know he sticks it in the top corner, so you can't criticise it. It's a strange it. finish. I, it's so strange. I've seen them end up Behind the goal, I've seen them end at the corner flag. Like I've seen people slice that sort of finish many a time. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah. If, if it was me, it would have ballooned like bananaed out and just hit the post or something like that. But luckily, I'm not uh, Alex Isak, and you've got confidence <laughs> when he's in front of goal, which is obviously what you always want. But um, yeah, great, great day. Um, completely outplayed them as well as you know got the goals and three nils a nice little uh, nice easy win to get you into the next round and bounce them out and silence some fans who were saying the usual awful line crossing things on social media well before the game. So what are you throwing in the sea then? I'm throwing in the sea. <laughs> right. So um since Newcastle got taken over and, and the the club started um talking to fans a bit more about what they want, um we've had a group um of um, like a fan group who put displays on around St James's Park. It's called War Flags, um, and they put on TFOs and things like that, and and displays, and it looks really good. And I think we're seeing a lot of those fan groups. I'm not saying we're and we're solely responsible, but I think people have seen what what our fan groups are doing and saying, "Oh, we'll we'll do a bit of that." Um, and Sun- Sunderland tried it for the for the game. And they've got a they've got a fan group called I think it's Spirit of Thirty Seven. Don't know what that is, by the way. I don't know what happened in Thirty Seven that they must have won something. But they raised money for a display for the for the derby, um, and they raised seventeen thousand pound, which is obviously a, t- a lot of money for a display. You're spending you essentially you're going to spend then seventeen grand on pieces of paper because that just that's what it is. It's pieces of paper you hold up just before kickoff, so it makes a really nice visual. Um, and it ran the length of of one of their stands, um, and you can see that you've got to see this on social media. But have a have a search for it. It is the worst tifo I have ever seen in my life. It it just says we aside, and everything about it is bizarre the w is twice as big as any of the other letters uh the s doesn't even finish like in in the middle like where the s bends back round it doesn't um like join up and then there's an exclamation mark for some bizarre reason at the end so it looks awful and then 
the fan group is being questioned about it and stuff on on forums and and on Twitter and things like that. Um, and the fan group has said, right, we tried. We're not doing anything else. Um, we're giving up. So they've got seventeen grand's worth of people's money, and they don't like that. That can't have been spent on on you know your coffers can't be empty. So somebody is profiting there. Somebody is skimming money off that because it didn't cost seventeen grand. And then there was a picture that re-emerged, which was uh, like a picture of of the Wearside thing, but in the foreground it had somebody's placard that they were holding up, the little piece of card, and it was for it was a display for Remembrance Day. So they were reusing old card as well as charging of, of having this seventeen grand kitty, and they were still reusing card. So somebody was like, "You're reusing card? Like how could this have cost seventeen grand?" And then the the group has said, "Yeah, well, we, you know, we we tried to keep costs down by reusing the red card." Uh, it looked like a bunch of bin bags. I know, as far as I could see, some of the photos on social media, like white and red bin bags. Yeah. I don't know what the material is. I guess polyethane or whatever it's called, like plastic Probably bag not, material. Uh, pollution, uh, <laughs> any good for pollution? Yeah, it's but... not great for the environment, is it? No, not at all. But um, yeah, I mean, somebody somebody even said to them, like, "Look, I've just got fifty pieces of." of card or plastic or whatever it was for six pounds on ebay so if you times that by you know a thousand you're going to spend six grand and you're going to have five thousand pieces of it so where's the other 11 grand gone like where where's all this money gone um but it just it summed them up they tried to do something well they've seen newcastle doing something they've got yeah we'll do that and they've raised 17 grand and somebody's buggered off on holiday and had a nice little uh nice little january bump on on um, Blue Monday, they've got 17 grand sat in the bank, probably 10 of it left. Also, I mean, fair enough if that's what you're throwing in the sea. Also want to throw in the sea this idea that Luco 9, who you've mentioned already on the, sh- oh, on the he show. he nearly went in. Why is he not allowed to tackle Lewis Miley? A clean tackle, fair tackle. Any other Premier League midfielder would have done the same thing because he's 17 all of a sudden. Oh, you can't tackle him like that. It's rubbish. If he's old enough to play a professional match, you can't take it easy on him because he's a kid. That's ridiculous. Fair enough, yeah, it's a hard challenge, but he's not hurt him. The kid gets straight up, he folds him in two. Yeah, all right, it's derby day, you get a bit of that. You know, if the shoe was on the other foot, Newcastle fans would love it if Big Joe Linton went in and tore a strip off of a Sunderland kitty. You just know that would be the case. So it winds me up a little bit because it's double standards. But it's derby day, isn't it? You get that. I agree with that. I, I seen the, a little bit of meltdown from Newcastle fans saying, oh, you know, Miley, blah, 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 gets folded by this kid um it's a really good tackle i like you say i would have loved it honestly i would i'd be repeating that for god knows how much if if joel linton had gone through i don't even know who they've got this is this is my thing with with sunderland that actually pleases me i genuinely don't know who any of the players are it was the first time i've heard of daniel ballard i've ever seen and it you know he ends up putting in a performance like that but i think the thing with luke luke or knee knee nine whatever he was, he was, he's, he's Lee Catamull from Wish, basically, isn't he? He's a, he's a Poundland Lee Catamull. He's their reincarnation of, of Lee Catamull. I think the thing, the thing why he was getting pelters from our, from our squad was that he was giving it big that he was, and the fans were like, oh, Luke, he's going to get stuck into them. He's going to smash a few Geordies. And basically what happened was he, he, it was typical. You could see it coming because in his head, he was that buzzing to just smash someone. That for the second, uh, for the third goal, when the ball is literally just rolling to him, he's that just focused on smashing Alex Isak that Isak just moves out the way 
and O9 misses the ball and he slips Gordon in and then they give away a penalty. And it was like that that mentality of like, oh, I'm going to smash him. Just play football first. Just try and win the game. Are you a Gordon convert now, by the way? Do you like Anthony Gordon now? Because he wound me up again. I mean, you spoke about his arrogance before he joined Newcastle. I mean, goodness me. And then was it when he won the penalty and he stood up and then one of the Sunderland players just throws him out of the way like a child? I just thought, I thought he deserved it, to be fair. What? But I mean, then, they won the match. So, so it was that Ballard that pushed him and then Ballard got bounced by Isaac and uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. right back was was hiding behind the goalkeeper at the whole time. I forget, forget his name. <laughs> the higher it was a good derby. It was a really good watch. It must be honest, it was a really good watch. It was a good watch. But um, well done to Newcastle. They won 3-0. They're into the next round of the FA Cup. That concludes Get in the Sea, possibly the longest Get in the Sea that we've ever done. So we're going to take another I quick break. I took about half an hour of that segment, just reminiscing about the game. <laughs> this has basically been Sunderland for Social Daily because you started banging on about Jordan Henderson at the start. So <laughs> yeah, we need to true. raise people. We've got to lose followers off this. <laughs> Next up on Football Social Daily, we're going to talk about Arsenal's defeat to Liverpool in the FA Cup. Arsenal with loads of chances, but they couldn't finish them off and they're out of another competition. Are they going to go another season without winning silverware under Mikel? Arteta. We'll talk about that as well as the latest transfer rumours, including a Premier League return for Timo Werner after this. Final part of today's show. Arsenal lost to Liverpool last night in the FA Cup third round. They're out of the competition. Liverpool, who are also top of the Premier League, go through. These are the sorts of games, Joel, where even though it's cup it can kind of have some sort of psychological impact because Liverpool are top of the Premier League and Arsenal are one of the challengers. But yet, Mikel Arteta's side come out on the wrong end of the result yet again. Yeah, watch the game. And to be honest, the final scoreline doesn't tell the story at all. Arsenal were actually really, really good. I genuinely don't know how they got beat because for the first 45 minutes, they literally had Liverpool on the back foot for... God knows how long and they were playing some really good football. I mean, they hit the crossbar pretty early on with Martin Odegaard and they were just constantly relentless in their attacks. They were playing incredible football for the majority of it. It just was that Liverpool in the end were just far more clinical. And for Arsenal, they kept leaving themselves completely vulnerable with the counter-attack, which is what Liverpool were doing consistently. And again, it comes from just an error which Trent Alexander-Arnold puts in a great ball and then it's suddenly 1-0. That's the danger you have when you have someone who's a set-piece specialist. The fact that any kind of threat from any area and you're pretty much vulnerable to it. But I think for Arsenal, the problem lies a little bit deeper than this because looking at their last month and a half, the only wins that they've had since the 5th of December is against Luton and against Brighton and that's it. They've lost against Villa, they drew against PSV, drew against Liverpool, uh, lost against West Ham, lost against Fulham. Now they've just lost against Liverpool it's been a really, really poor month for them. And I genuinely think, just watching that game as well, where they had Kai Havertz go almost into the centre-forward role and then try to mould themselves around him, they need a number nine so, so badly. That is the one piece in the jigsaw that they're missing. They need to go out and get someone. They were just not clinical at all. They had incredible amount of chances and they just couldn't put them away. But for Arsenal... I think it, it, it lies a little bit more deeper than just the striker. I just don't think they're as fluid as they were last season. They feel a little bit rigid, uh, especially on the wings. I think teams are 
a little bit more privy to, for example, Saka and the influence he has on games and the doubling up on him rather than last year. He probably had a you know a go at his fullback, but it didn't tell the full story though. The the scoreline. No, I I agree. I thought Arsenal were the better team, and if they had finished their chances, I think they would have been clearly the team that goes through to the fourth round of the FA Cup. But this is something we said last week, didn't we? We mentioned. Arsenal don't have a killer in front of goal. Gabriel Jesus, I was talking about him. That's exactly the quote that I used. And it's exactly what Ian Wright said as well on social media. Took a selfie of himself at the game and said, we are lacking a killer up front. And sometimes that is the difference. I mean, Manchester City still managed to win with a false nine. But let's be blunt, Arsenal don't quite have the capability of Manchester City in that respect. They're getting closer. But I think that that will really disappoint the Arsenal fans, that result, not because it's defeat to Liverpool, but also because it means that's one less trophy. They've got a chance of winning. They're obviously still in the Champions League. They've still got a chance of winning the Premier League, albeit they've given up ground, as Joel mentioned, in the month of December. So that's now looking more unlikely than it did just four weeks ago. Do you think that this is going to be another trophyless season for Arsenal, Marley? Uh, yeah. But we wouldn't have said that a month and a half ago, would we? Six weeks ago. No, probably not. Um, I think they could... I think at the start of the season, like they could easily win the Carabao Cup if they tried and just get something. They could easily, I think, win the FA Cup. They get screwed by a draw. I mean, joining Liverpool in the third round is is about as unlucky as it gets, to be fair. Um, but yeah, they're, they're sort of in the worst period of their season type of thing. I think have they lost like five out of the last seven or something like that. It's... It's um, a bit of a wobble right now and you don't want the FA Cup third round dropping in that little hole where you're not quite yourselves. Um, But that's the way it works. That's the way it is. And they're probably saying now what they said last season, oh, we can focus on trying to win the league. And, you know, that's that's all well and good. But if you don't win the league, you are going to get these questions again of, you know, what's it going to take for you to go and win something and to go and see something through? Because at the end of the day, like last year, you can put it down to to bottle in the league. They they should have won it. They had the they had it in their grasp, and they had that game against um, against Man City where everyone knew City were going to win, and City turned up and won because Arsenal were just powerless to resist them, um, and just weren't good enough. Um, just look at this Premier League table, Marley. I just we spoke about Tottenham having a great start, first ten games of the season. They went unbeaten. They were top of the table. Then they lost that game to Chelsea. We've had another nine games since then. So most teams, apart from Man City, are on 20 games. Tottenham are on 20 matches with 39 points. Arsenal are on 20 matches with 40 points. There's a point between them. Manchester City have played a game fewer. They're on 40. Liverpool are five points clear of Arsenal and Man City, having played 20 games. Arsenal are two points behind Aston Villa after 20 games. So, I mean, we've mentioned that we think Liverpool might drop points in the title race. I think that the picture in that top five will flip and change throughout the course of the next few months. But five points to make up in the Premier League is not always as easy as it sounds, particularly when you've got Manchester City with a game in hand. So they're five points back now. I just, with the way the Premier League's been, I just wonder whether they can make up that ground and just consistently win, especially with these problems that we've spoken about with a lack of clinical finisher up front. That's going to be the task, isn't it? Can you can you score enough goals between you? Is somebody going to be sort of hot at every point of the season when you've not got one guy who's like banging them in all all season round like like Haaland will? 
you know, Sakura Martinelli and Odegaard and, and Jesus have to be, there has to be someone chipping in at some point and they're all sort of blanking at the minute. Um, seen it against Liverpool yesterday, the one where Odegaard hit the crossbar and it was like, you could give any team that situation and somebody would probably score. Um, and at the, just the way things are going for Arsenal, it's just things are hitting the bar, goalies making a save, they're not quite taking the chances. And the longer it went on where they didn't score, it, you know, it was it was pretty dominant. And then as soon as they didn't score by sort of half an hour, um, sort of half time, 60 minutes, you just thought Liverpool are going to nick this. And that's, that's exactly what happened. So it was um, just sort of where Arsenal are right now. But they need to arrest that and and get back to uh, to what they can do, which because they are good enough on paper and on the field to win the league. They could win the league. Um but it's a it's a big task when things start not going quite your way and you know things sort of near misses and, and little sort of momentum killers like the Liverpool game. Um so we'll have to wait and see what they've got in the in the tank basically. Joel, I want you to tell me in one sentence how you think the rest of Arsenal's season will pan out because you tipped them to win the Premier League title at the start of the season. They showed early promise. Now they've receded. You've also said they had a good chance in the Champions League. They've got Porto in the last 16, which is coming up in a few weeks' time. So in one sentence, summarise how the rest of Arsenal's season will go. Ask me on February the 1st. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll make a note of that for 22, 23 days' time, something like that. Uh, next up, though, we're going to talk about the January transfer window because on February the 1st, that will be the final day of the window and all of the Premier League teams will have to have made sure that they have done their business for the month heading into the run-in, the final stages of the top flight campaign. One club who have already looked to make moves in the window is Tottenham Hotspur, who are expected to bring back to England someone who didn't do a great job when he was last here and he was also at another London rival. That was Timo Werner, Joel who, of course, didn't have a great time of it at Chelsea. They paid £50 million for him from RB Leipzig. He did win the Champions League under Thomas Tuchel, it must be said, but he never really hit the heights that people were expecting him to hit, particularly considering his record over in the Bundesliga. He's since returned to Germany, but now it looks like, on a loan deal, Ange Postacoglu is looking to bring him to North London and to Tottenham. What do you make of that? I am always and have always been the biggest sceptic of attackers from the Bundesliga coming to the Premier League. They are borderline fraudulent. I'm sorry, I have to say it. Purely, apart from Erling Haaland. Apart from Erling, but he's, he's just an absolute outlier. But the, the ones that I've seen that have come over, and I said it in the last episode, statistics in the Bundesliga are extremely inflated, like really saturated because if anyone's ever watched a Bundesliga game, the game is so open. As in, they have so much time on the ball. They all have such a high line. I mean, Timo Werner, before he went to Chelsea, had 28 goals in 34 games in the Bundesliga. That was his last season with Leipzig, his first occasion at Leipzig. When I saw those stats, I was thinking to myself, if he can get 30% of that return, I actually would be happy as a Chelsea fan because you, you almost have to think a Bundesliga five goals is almost equal to one Premier League goal. Well, let's go through some of the players because you mentioned Haaland. You mentioned the record there. Obviously, there's Kai Havertz as well. I mean, Awani's done okay at Nottingham Forest, hasn't he? Um, Werner, Kevin Shade at Brentford. Sancho, he had incredible statistics. Um, Huang's done okay. Leon Bailey's done okay, I guess. 
Valt Veghorst is another one. I've got a list here in front of me. It's very much hit and miss. But the big, the bigger money ones though, they tend to they tend to fail more often than not. There's a handful of plays that I could probably recall that have done really well. For example, Edin Dzeko, I thought he was a massive hit. But then you look at all the ones like Jaden Sancho and Kai Havertz. These are big, big money players that just didn't quite hit the heights. And sometimes it's just that the fact that the Bundesliga is a very specific league for attackers who I think if, if you lack pace, I feel like you can get away with it in the Bundesliga. I mean, Timo Werner is fast as hell. He's clinical in the Bundesliga. And then he went back to Leipzig after his spell at Chelsea. Got nine goals in 27 games in that first season. And then this season, he's had two goals in eight games. For me, if he's gone back to Leipzig and Leipzig are happy to let him go again, does that not ring alarm bells? Because although he probably will have a decent setup in Angie's side in Spurs, he almost proved it at Chelsea that he wasn't, equipped I mean I always remember his time at Chelsea he found himself in great positions but he just wasn't clinical yeah he just wasn't clinical enough so it wasn't for not trying I thought he was excellent in terms of his positioning but the Timo Werner well, he, that I saw he did Leipzig. find himself offside a hell of a lot <laughs> yeah. Timo Werner you said he's good positioning I think he used to set up a deck chair offside yeah I mean we can't look too far into it because obviously it's a six-month loan the yeah. buy options around 15 million euros it's purely just for Son isn't it it's almost backup for Son just in case anything happens well he's someone who did come from the Bundesliga and has done exceptionally well for every Son and Haaland you get a Haller or a Havertz so <laughs> it is a bit hit and miss with Bundesliga Bundesliga, but I think that's interesting because it looks like Tottenham are the first big club, should we say, to bring in players this January window. Ivan Tony's also done an interview. He's been linked with Arsenal, but Brentford are very keen to keep hold of him for the next six months of the season, even though Arsenal need a nice cold striker up front, as we've discussed. Lots to get through, I'm sure, throughout the rest of this month on Football Social Daily. So make sure you hit subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform. And that way you'll never miss a show. As soon as we release a new episode, you'll be notified when it is available to download. But from Marley, Joel and I, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Marley, have you laid off the beers yet? Uh, I was I was on the beers actually on, on Saturday, which was perfect timing. Who do you want in the next round? Uh, anyone crap. Give us Maidstone. Desperate to win the FA Cup. Desperate. Give us Maidstone Look at him, desperate. <laughs> yeah. Desperate to get himself to Wembley. <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, just one last thing. On One of the things I love about the FA Cup is watching the highlights and seeing like the match of the day or whatever and seeing random people who you never knew were still playing. For example, switched it on. Didn't realise Asmir Begovic was still playing. But he's uh, he was he turns up at QPR and I was like, is that Begovic in goal? I was like, oh my god, like there's one. And then I watched the Maidstone uh, against Stevenage game, and the manager was George Elakobi. It was, and I was like, oh my god, that's proper like throwback George Elakobi stuff. And then he had an interview at the end of the game, and it was like, all I want is Wolves, Wolves away at the in the next round. And I was like, I'd actually love it if that happened. It'd be so, be so good, but. Yeah, it's just the, the the old faces you see in the FA Cup still still knocking round. It's like, oh, oh, that's where he is, right? Okay, fair enough. All right, that's it from us on FSD. As I say, hit subscribe and you'll never miss a show. That link to the NordVPN special deal is in the description, as are the links to our social media pages and the Telegram chat, which you can join for conversation beyond the podcast. But that's it from us. We'll catch you next time on FSD. See you then. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.